together again this morning on a beautiful almost spring day. Let's start off this morning in prayer. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for the sun shining in, for the opportunity to gather together, uh, to be together, to support one another, to uh, hear your word, and we pray that you would speak to us, each one of us today, so that as we leave this place, we will be a different person, and we will be closer to you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So I think it's really super special that we are studying Matthew 19 on March 19th in the year 2019. I think that's really just really cool. So I'm just pointing it out again. Um, so I'm, I'm one of those people that's like really fiercely independent. How, how many of you are, are independent people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got some independent people here. When I was five, I would not let my mother comb my hair. So I, I went to church one time, and, and my hair was not sufficiently combed. You know, curly hair is, is kind of notorious for being difficult. And I, I walked in, and the, the, one of the ladies in the church said, your hair is not appropriate. And... <laughs> Yeah, it, it's happened all the time. So I'm pretty cautious about my hair, especially when I'm here. Um, but but I learned something then about being independent. Well, not really. Um, didn't actually learn that. Um, when I was a kid, I loved to rearrange my room. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, still, I love rearranging things and making things look different and new and, and fresh. Did it this weekend in my backyard. Um, but when I was six, I couldn't do it on my own, and that frustrated me so much because I couldn't carry, I couldn't move my bed. I could move the bookcase, I could move the dresser, but I could not move my bed without my dad's help, and that frustrated me so much. So when I was about seven, uh, I did it all by myself because I was determined that I was going to do this by myself. And uh, my dad said it was one of the saddest days of his life when he woke up from his nap and realized that I had done it without him. Another example, uh, a few years ago I was playing soccer, broke my arm, and um, didn't learn, and I broke the other one five years later. Um, but I, was, I, was, I had this broken arm, I'd never broken a bone before, and I was looking at it, I was trying to, trying to do all the things that I normally do, right? Because I'm fiercely independent, I don't like relying on other people. My husband was standing right there. Um, as I'm pulling out a, a cookie sheet of cookies that I had decided I was going to make, um, and he's like, do you want help? I said, no, I don't want to help. I can do this. I pulled it out, and it immediately went on the floor. I don't like having to rely on anyone else, and I know that some of you can relate to that. Um, it's a difficult thing for me to do. So this is this message today is really, really touching me personally. So I hope you hear that. All right, to our scripture, Matthew 19, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea on the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. You can see this is the map. Is that a pointer? I don't know. Maybe not. Um, so Galilee's up in the north. You can see the sea up there is a little spot. And they're moving down into Judea, which um, is where Jerusalem is. So we are heading to Jerusalem. This is Jesus' final trip. 
as, um, as he's heading towards the cross. He knows what he's doing. He knows he's heading to Jerusalem for a reason. Um, he's here, we see that he is still healing, but we start hearing more and more of the teaching. Because as Jesus is getting closer and closer to the, the end of his time on earth, um, he is focusing more and more on the smaller circle of people. And so most of these, these stories that you're going to start hearing are interactions with a small group of people um, and or the disciples. Because he's really focusing on teaching the disciples and making sure they understand what's going on. Verse 3, some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, of, at the, beginning the creator made them male and female, and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So the Pharisees are coming in. They're, they're still trying to kind of uh, get Jesus to say something that they can do something about. Um, this isn't a particularly difficult um, response from Jesus, um, but it's kind of interesting. So they set it up. Um, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? There are two schools of thought at this point. Um, in the Jewish tradition. One is the school of Hillel, which is this kind of what they're referring to, an easy divorce. Um, it's, they tr translate some of the words, or they understand some of the words as um, a woman who is unacceptable is okay to just give her a divorce and go on. So divorce for any reason. There's another school, which is the school of Shammai, and that one is the there's divorce only for the reason of sexual immorality. Um, so they're they're kind of asking, what's that distinction? Are you which school are you with? Are you with Hillel or are you with Shammai? And Jesus responds to this in a way that is very typical of the rabbinic tradition. The rabbis would always respond to a question with scripture, and that's what exactly what Jesus does. But instead of going back to the scripture that they expect him to, which is in De Deuteronomy 24, um, he goes back to the very beginning, to Genesis, and he starts talking about the, the intent. What is God's intent when he created marriage? And his intent was um, that two people would be united uh, as one flesh, and that they would never be separated. And then we move on. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of a divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. There's so much going on here. It's awesome. Um, so the Pharisees start, and they say, Moses commanded, in Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4, Moses commanded, and then Jesus responds with, Moses permitted. 
okay? So it's not a command, it's a permission. Um, and it's because you guys can't do it, right? It, you're weak, basically. Um, he permitted it, except in the case of a woman remarrying a man after an intervening marriage. That's the, the Deuteronomy 24. So if a, a, a man and a woman are married, they get divorced, she marries someone else, and then comes back and marries the first guy again, that's not okay, according to Deuteronomy. But everything else is, is permitted in the Deuteronomy passage. So they're saying Moses commanded this. Jesus says, no, he permitted it because your hearts are hard. But it's not this way from the beginning. So he's pointing back to Genesis again and saying that's not the intent. So there are a couple of things going on. First of all is that Jesus in this passage, and I'll explain why in a little bit, so bear with me, um, is making an economic argument. Because in that day, women needed to have a spouse. They needed to be married because they didn't have a lot of economic advantage themselves. They were not allowed to own property. They were not allowed to have their own wealth. So they had to have, in order to survive, they had to have some kind of um, support from a spouse. So in order to, um, if, a, if a woman's able to be dismissed from a marriage just because she's not a good cook, right? then that makes it really hard for her because she doesn't then have someone to support her. Um, she is of an oppressed class in this time and of the era. Um, and so she doesn't have um, any power in this situation. So she would have to go and marry someone else, right? Because that's the only way that she has to um, to survive, to make any money. So, Jesus uh, is saying that you can't just divorce her for any reason. It's got to be a good reason, and that only the only reason that's acceptable is sexual immorality. Okay? So, in verse, in Matthew 5, verse 32, we, all, we have Jesus speaking again, um, or I guess first, about this issue. And at that time, he says that um, it's the first part of kind of this rationale. He says that if a man divorces his wife and she marries another, she still belongs to the first man. Therefore, she is an adulteress. Okay, so that's in Matthew 5. Now we have the second part where Jesus opens it up, and this is the first time that we have any teaching against polygamy, right here. Anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So the man here, for the first time, is said to commit adultery. First teaching against polygamy. So Jesus is taking a step away from the gender-based double standard of the day by calling the husband also adulterous. Therefore, he is redefining the power that women have in marriage. Isn't that cool? <laughs> I love that. Go women. <laughs> and then Jesus also takes a, a strict interpretation of the Deuteronomy passage. Um, and he is protecting women from this arbitrary pow power of husbands. He's following the school of Shammai in this case. 
So the call of the kingdom is a call to the ethics of the perfect will of God. Ergo, this Sermon on the Mount. Um, that makes no provision for or concession to the weakness of the flesh. Here are two quotes. With Jesus, we affirm the Creator's intention that marriage remain a lifelong commitment despite its inevitable frustration. We acknowledge that in a sinful world, this ideal, despite our prayers for grace, may often fail of attainment. The ideal remains our lodestar. Right? So we're reaching for this ideal, um, but it's very, very, very difficult, if not impossible. Right? In, in fact, Donald Hager says, it is not possible for the ethics of the kingdom to be articulated in anything less than ideal terms. The righteousness of the kingdom is ever before the disciples as a call and a challenge. Yet, in the present interim era, it must, be, must not be thought surprising that the disciples will continue to fall short of the goal, a goal whose full realization awaits the parousia and eschaton. Parousia, end times, eschaton, the, the full future. Okay, does that make sense? Um, so basically the point is, is we're talking about ideals here that are not possible to reach, and so there's some grace involved. Does that sound familiar, grace? <laughs> Verse 10, the disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, this is probably happening after kind of pulling away, this is the teaching moment that Jesus has with his disciples, is if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who have been born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Um, so, John Calvin takes this part of the scripture and he, he says, the disciples are a bunch of whiny jerks. I might be paraphrasing. He actually, what, he was appalled by the selfish ingratitude of the disciples uh, respecting God's wonderful gift of marriage. That's from A Harmony of the Gospels, Volume 2. We have here Jesus pointing out both the, the literal eunuchs, so eunuchs are people, men who have had their sexual organs altered, shall we say, um, and so that they don't have any sexual drive. Um, so they're um, eunuchs who are literally eunuchs, born that way or made that way by others, um, and figurative eunuchs, the people who have put that on themselves so that they can choose to live that way for the sake of the kingdom. Well, we all know how family life can be a disruption to ministry, right? Um, what, or, or work, whatever your work is, um, which is ministry, just in case you're wondering. Um, yesterday, I took the day off. I was not here yesterday because my son had his bottom two wisdom teeth removed and had to have oral surgery for that. I missed two important meetings. I didn't respond by email to most of the people who emailed me. I've now got a million emails in my inbox. Uh, but it was more important for me yesterday to be with my son. Yesterday, my kingdom work was at home with my family. Today, it's here with you all. He's doing fine, by the way. Thank you. 
Um, the Apostle Paul actually said it was better to be unmarried so that you could devote your full self to the kingdom without distractions, right? So uh, this is a difficult passage for a lot of people because they kind of see this as, well, then is it okay to be married? It's a, being married is a, it's a beautiful thing, and Jesus isn't saying don't do it. He's saying it's hard. Marriage is going to add some stresses to your life, and that's hard. If you, can, it, if you can't handle that, by all means, don't be married. But if you can handle it, then you want to get married, but understand that there's going to be distractions. All right, are we ready to move on? Okay. Isn't he cute? He didn't have his wisdom teeth at this point. <laughs> uh, this is the this picture is to me a reminder of how my cat taught my son how to crawl. Because the cat would, would get up, this is he's about five months in this picture, I think. He was crawling by six months. Uh, but the cat would, would get up, and he was fascinated by this cat. And the cat would get up and just move a couple inches, and then lay down again. And then he would like wiggle himself up there. And that's how my son learned how to crawl, by chasing the cat across the room. So, here, here we are. Let the little children come to me. The people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus, or, or a tech cat, that's a tech cat. A tech cat said, let the little ch children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went from there. So there's a double affirmation here. So he, Jesus says, don't um, hinder them, let them come. Let them come, don't hinder them. Right, double affirmation. Um, and the child here is a, the paradigm of what it means to be helplessly dependent on God. And that is our theme today. As Christina said last week, childlike humility is thinking of yourself in relation to your parent. What is my relation to God? Right? Um, that's what it means to be of the kingdom of heaven. Recognition and dependence, turning to Jesus first. So just like tac-tac, that's what we call him, tac-tac, let the child come to him, and he was not hindered. He, he wouldn't have been hindered. There was nothing you could do to hinder this child. Um, but tac-tac, let him come. And then a few years later, they, they always had a really special relationship. And uh, when tac-tac died, Jonathan was very, very sad. Um, as you might imagine, and uh, but he is building that relationship now with our other friendly cats. Okay, moving on. We're powering through this. How are we doing on time? Okay. The rich young man and the kingdom of God. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, "Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life?" Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. 
All these have I, I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. So there's a couple things I want to point out just about the text here. Um, first of all, the, the word that is used in verse 22, young man, this is the first time in this passage where we have him qualified as young. He's not young earlier. He probably was still, but he wasn't noted as young um, until verse 22. That word is neoniskos, and um, in the Greek, and in, according to Philo, who was a contemporary, um, that means a, a man between 21 and 28. So you get a kind of an age range here. So he was he was pretty young. Frontal lobe has not completely um, <laughs> connected yet, most likely. <laughs> so you notice that the, this man comes and he calls Jesus teacher or rabbi. Um, this is not the way that the disciples refer to Jesus. They call him Lord, right? Um, the disciples have completely committed themselves to this cause. Um, this young man is not yet committed. He's saying, Rabbi, I respect you. It's a term of respect, but it's not a term of commitment. Uh, absolute commi commitment to the kingdom requires everything. That's my little subtitle for this. So verse 17, God has given the commandments to define righteousness. And Jesus, who is loyal to the law, despite what it might sound like sometimes, Jesus is very loyal to the law. Um, he is standing behind us. Okay? He lists some of the commandments. Most of these are from um, the second tablet, so the second half of the Ten Commandments. Um, they're all the relational ones. So the first, the first tablet tends to be more about um, your relationship with God. The second tablet tends to be how you relate to other people. And Jesus quotes mostly the second um, and adds, love your neighbor as yourself. The young man says, uh, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? A couple interesting parts to this as a, as a student of scripture that, I, I, that struck me. All these I've kept is pretty, um, pretty bold. That's a bold statement, right? Um, and secondly, what do I still lack? He obviously knows that he's lacking something. And I find that really intriguing. Um, he's done all of this. He's following the commandments. Um, this is what the Pharisees in particular did, um, was that they were very, they were lay people, as opposed to like the, um, the scribes and the Sanhedrin and all these other names, the chief high priests and everything, those were not lay people. They were uh, people who were paid uh, or supported by the temple, right? Um, but the Pharisees were lay people who were students of, of the law. And they were very adamant about keeping every aspect of the law, right? Um, so he has done that. He feels pretty confident that he is keeping all 713 commandments. Because Jesus isn't just saying just these commandments. He's saying, using this as kind of an example of the type of commandments that, that you're to keep. 
So Jesus responds, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. The standards of discipleship in the kingdom are a whole new level of intensity. Right? Not just obeying the commandments, but what does it mean to sell your all your possessions? That's absolute commitment, right? Come follow me. Absolute commitment. And so he's saying, Jesus is saying to this young man, it's great that you're doing all good things, but what's what I need is your commitment. Young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. I looked up some pictures of what people consider treasure. Here we go. <laughs> we, have, we have a treasure box in the corner. We have an old antique typewriter, which is kind of a treasure of its own. Um, we have a stack of cookies, which sounds like a pretty good treasure. Um, my personal favorite is the Mona Lisa, because, you know, Mona. <laughs> I had my mother, I didn't wear them today, but my mother gave me socks, so there's a Mona Lisa socks. So it, it's, it's a thing. Um, my nephew really likes expensive things, so this one would be his. <laughs> yeah. And Jesus said to his disciples, so again, we're pulling away, and Jesus is doing a teaching just with his disciples. Truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Robin had the same verse two weeks ago. Same sentiment in me. With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So, Jesus is talking about participation in the kingdom. Absolute commitment. Therefore, where there your heart will be also. Remember that from Matthew 6. Um, the disciples were surprised by all this, right? They were greatly astonished. Look at verse 25. Then who can be saved? Right? They are surprised because they, like today, have this view that if, um, if you were doing all the right things, God would reward you with great wealth. And so they saw this young man who was following all the commandments and had great wealth as kind of the paragon of what it means to be a follower of God. And here Jesus is saying, no, it's not enough. You've got to sell everything and give it away and come follow me. So um, we have some, some big names in that in Christian circles today, Joel Osteen, uh, Tony Robbins, who are all these prosperity gospel people who, who preach that God will bless you, not just um, rewards in heaven, not just rewards, but rewards here on earth and in and tangible physical material rewards. Um, and Jesus right here is saying, it's not enough. It's whatever you do is not enough. Um, we can't do this on our own, only with God. 
only with God. And that's the point, I think, of all of these stories. We have the first the story about divorce, where we have this Jesus holding up this high ideal of the original intent. Why were we created um, to, to marry? What's the purpose of marriage? And it should never be broken. We have the story of the little children who are completely reliant on a cat to learn how to crawl, right? Um, and then we have the story of the rich man um, who is learning, um, learns that, that all of the good things that he does isn't enough. Back in uh, a couple months ago, I don't remember when, um, a couple months ago, in, I think it was January, uh, Laura Quartiello came to the staff meeting and she showed us all this video uh, that she had taken of her grandmother. Her grandmother is lives in like Nova Scotia or somewhere in Canada, and she's an, an old style Pentecostal. So you'll hear some of that old style Pentecostal. And I asked her if I could share it with you guys because this illustrates this point so well. No, I don't have no drugs, no weapons. So I get through that line. And then she gives me boarding pass, and then she gives me caution. Uh, don't misplace this ordinance because you can't get on the plane without that. That's the way she ordered it. Yeah. You won't get on the plane that you misplace that boarding pass. I tagged her when I'm on the way. And I'm sitting there thinking about that boarding pass. Of course, Pentecostals, I mean, I think about what we're supposed to do. And we try to do it. But I could still be lost if I don't have the spirit in me. I, I would still be lost. I might pass the inspection, you know, my, I, I don't have my hand, I don't wear slacks, you know, the, the, the regular stuff. But that doesn't save me. I gotta be saved first in that, and you gotta keep the right spirit, because that's your golden pass. Oh, I, I, it really struck me. It really did. I, I'm just saying, you must think I don't, well, I don't know. But I no, it's very good. But when you think about it, I might look. It's a good sermon illustration. You have a great sermon on it. You could. Because you could look the part, but you could be lost if you don't keep, because it's the spirit that takes you out. You know, and vice versa. See, I'm waiting for the first resurrection. <laughs> but you know, because uh, if I was to, to die, which I like to lose, surely. But anyway, the dead in Christ first, and then then they're alive and then you caught together in the cloud to meet Lord near. No one sees you the first time, just the, the first resurrection crew. Yeah. So that's something to keep keep your spirit right. Keep your spirit. You're the preacher and I'm telling you all this stuff. But that's a fact, isn't it? That's a fact. You guys. <laughs> Keep your boarding pass, because it's the spirit that gets you there. It's not all doing all the right things. I love that picture. So then, then we move on in our scripture. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you, have, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will re receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. 
that many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. This is, this is my picture of um, the first being last. This is the first daffodil from my yard to bloom. Yeah, it's looking a little sad. It, it got smushed in the, in the snow, because uh, it was already coming up, and it got smushed and laid down, and then it still bloomed. But the first will be last, and the last will be first. Uh, this is an interesting uh, passage, because uh, it's kind of unique. We have, before, we've already seen the disciples kind of arguing over who's going to be, you know, get to sit on the right hand of Jesus in the, in the kingdom, right? Um, and, and Jesus kind of refused to answer that one, right? But here he's saying, he's giving a promise of the future. And he gives it first to the disciples. You're going to get something special because you have, when, when you heard, come follow me, you came and followed. Um, they obviously didn't get it all right. You know, we, we know that from the stories. Um, the fact that they're constantly asking Jesus um, to explain things um, and still not getting it. You know, they're kind of thick-headed like I am. Um, they're, they're those people who don't want to be reliant, but they do end up um, full commitment to Jesus, um, and they will be rewarded. And this is what Jesus is saying here, too. I want your commitment. I want you to rely on me first. Above all things, rely on me, because none of this is possible. But with God, all things are possible. Amen? Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that um, with you, all things are possible, even the impossible. Lord, help us to rely on you, not to rely on ourselves. It's so tempting to try to do it ourselves, try to earn our way and forget our boarding pass. Lord, um, help us to rely on you more and more, to keep hold of our boarding pass so that we can get on that plane when it's time. In Jesus' name, amen.